Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you back here, and welcome to Moline Baptist Church, if you haven't been here before, to listen to our sermons online. I hope your week has been going well. I know that we still have to be diligent with washing our hands and making sure we're not unnecessarily exposing ourselves to the virus, but I'm praying that eventually we'll get back to some normalcy soon. And with that being said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are praying now for this nation. We're praying now for your will to be done. Lord, we are a city on a hill that can't be hidden. And I ask you to forgive us for not trusting, not believing, living in fear for many of us. Lord, we ask that you would always be glorified in everything that we do. Help us to love our neighbors well, those who are scared, those who don't know you, Lord. I pray that they would come to know you in a loving, saving way. Help us as a church, as a people, not just a brick and mortar building, but as a people, a church, to truly love you and love others who might be going through hard times or trials. Lord, I pray for this time. This is the book of James. This is the New Testament Proverbs. I pray you would give us wisdom. Wisdom on how to handle these situations properly. Help us to not run in fear, but to see truth. Allow us to let the truth set us free. Lord, we pray for Jesus Christ in the hearts and the minds of those who don't know Jesus Christ. That's our ultimate prayer today, Lord, that you would be heard and known and seen, trusted, believed, received, followed. So, Lord, I pray for this time that if they're not your words, take them from me. Allow me to only say what you want us to hear, what you need us to hear. Use me, Holy Spirit, as your vessel. As we read through the book of James, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been going through the book of James. It's the New Testament Proverbs. That's what it's called. And last week, online, we went through the sermon and we looked at verses 5 through 8. And I talked about the fact that we need to ask for wisdom. That there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is information. Wisdom is putting that information into practice. Knowledge is comprehending facts. Wisdom is handling your life through those facts. Knowledge is something that we know in theory. But wisdom is practical or putting into practice our knowledge properly. Wisdom is asking God, or it's asking us to ask God for wisdom, not being a genie in a bottle, 
but believing that he will give it to you. Wisdom is knowing that who you are asking is trustworthy and capable due to the very thing you've asked for as long as it's his will in your life. I said this last week and I'll say it again. It's our job to ask God for wisdom and let God do the work he promised he'd do in our lives. That's what wisdom is. Knowing who you're asking for wisdom and trusting he's going to do the very things he promises to do. That's asking without doubt. That's what we call faith. I talked about faith last week. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. We walk by faith, not by sight. That's what's being asked of us, to walk by faith, to trust, not by sight or seeing. We don't have to be convinced that God is God because he's convinced, we've already been convinced or proven over and over again that he is who he says he is. And yet for some reason in America today, we run in fear of who God is. We don't even think that God works. That's what we talked about last week. Wisdom and asking for it and then having faith. Trusting that he's going to do what he says he's going to do when we ask for it. Not doubting. This week we look at James chapter 1 verses 9 through 12. And let me read those for you and you will see what God has for us today. James chapter 1 verses 9 through 12 says this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltations. And the rich in his humiliation, because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let me break this down for us today. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltations. What does that mean? Well, first let me define lowly brother. There's nothing fancy here. James is actually addressing Christians, brothers, who are in poverty. James is not saying to those who don't have to not think of themselves lesser. He's saying don't think of yourselves lesser than those who do have. Poverty in America today is considered something of a bad thing. That you're lazy. That you're not willing to work. That you're worthless. And that might be true for some, but it's not true for all. Many in poverty are there for one reason or another. But it's not always because someone's lazy or not willing to work. But the major thing or idea, the big idea I want you to take away from this is that the lowly brother, no matter how low you are, is rich in one way. So boast in your exaltations. How is he rich? He's rich because he's in the family of God. Think about that for a moment. Really ponder that thought. He's going to inherit a family wealth that no one on earth could even imagine. The creator of the world says to us who are poor, we get 
to become heirs. In fact, Romans 8 says this, verse 14, For all those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Let me say that one again. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We get the creator of the world's inheritance. Think about that for a moment. Many people want to be a part of the royal family. And they want that inheritance. Many people want to be a part of people who have a lot of money. And they want that inheritance. We get the creator of the world's inheritance. You can be assured of this because the Spirit of God himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Does that make sense? Do you understand what it means to be a lowly brother and why you should boast in your exaltations? The word exaltation in Greek is hopsos. It means to be in a position of high status or high power. It means that you and I are raised up, lifted up to a position in God's family of heir, fully worthy of receiving everything that God has that someone outside of his family could not receive. There are people in this world that would die for that opportunity. And yet, there are some in this world don't want to die for God's causes. I'm at that point now where with this whole virus, this whole uh, pandemic, I was going to say something different, but it'll get me in trouble. I'm at that point now where I have come to the position in my life where to live is Christ, to die is gain. And being a person who has type 2 diabetes, I'm more susceptible to dying from this virus. I'm okay with that. I'm not going to run in fear. I'm not going to worry about my health. I was just reading this morning about Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon had this plague that was going through England at the time in the 1850s. And people were dying constantly. And he kept the church open. He wanted to be the city on the hill that couldn't be hidden. He wanted to show the truth of Jesus Christ and the light of Christ to those who were dying in trials. I'm at that point. We did what we said we were going to do. We were going to try to not to overwhelm the healthcare system. I'm okay with that, but now I'm not okay with the idea of shutting down the world for the next 28 days. What's 28 days? What's 28 days in the grand scheme of eternity? What's 28 days in the grand scheme of eternity? There are people in this world that would die for an opportunity to be a part of God's family. And yet there are those who don't even think it's important. 
They don't even get it. They don't want it, and they don't think it. they deserve it. There are people in this world who call themselves Christians, but really don't believe in Jesus Christ and his word. They grew up in the church. That makes them Christian. They grew up in the United States. That must make them Christian. Let me tell you something, church. The only thing that makes you a Christian is following Jesus Christ, believing and receiving Jesus Christ as the payment for your penalty of your sins. I've said this before. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Nothing more, nothing less. In fact, Romans says this, For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. This is all Romans 10, chapter 10, 9 through 11. These are God's words, not mine. Too many make it more than it needs to be, and that's the problem right there. Don't act like God and make God more than he really is. So you can have a bunch of money or people like you. Or think that the false hope you spread is the gospel or good news because if it's something other than what God says, then stop because it's not the true gospel. Don't go to preachers or listen to them who preach this kind of stuff. The gospel or good news should rip you up it should wound you. It should actually make you or even kill us. That's the gospel that makes us alive again. As Charles Spurgeon likes to say, avoid the sugar-coated gospel. God doesn't say that here in James, the lowly brother needs to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and get out of poverty. He doesn't say that. Many of our American politicians think that way. But he says for us to recognize our position with God, not the world, and know that you are an heir. Church, that's the thing I want you to hear from James today. You are an heir with God when you believe and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're exalted beyond money, wealth, health, prosperity. You have Christ. That doesn't mean you should just wallow in your poverty. Yeah, work, get a job, try to make a living. Don't give up. But in your poverty, don't think if you had money, you'd be fine. It doesn't work that way. That's the myth of the lottery. There's something wrong with keeping mind-altering drug stores open or alcohol stores open or lottery stores open or abortion clinics open. It's absolutely disgusting. You shut everything else down and keep those things open. So that people can run away from what? The crisis? They can find hope and if they won the lottery while they were sick, they would have great wealth? You're finding hope in all the wrong things and you're finding ways to escape all the wrong ways by leaving Weed stores and liquor stores open and abortion clinics open. It's quite disgusting in my opinion. My humble opinion. Christ is the only hope we need. Not money. Not drugs. Not the lottery. Do you even know him? That's the real question, church. Because look what he says to the rich man. 
Look at what he says to the rich. The rich in his humiliation. Let me start off by saying that God's not against people being rich or having lots of money. Abraham was rich. Job was rich. David and Solomon were rich. Rather, God is against Christians allowing themselves to be proud or arrogant or elitist or presumptuous about their riches. So he tells them to be humble in their riches. Today, we tend to think that people who have money, especially Christians, that God must be blessing them. And those who don't have money, God must be disciplining them or punishing them. Wrong. That's not true at all. Those who have need to ask God what he would have them to do with their riches. They should take care of their families and make sure they help their loved ones. Absolutely, yes. However, they also must make sure that they're doing with their money what God would have them do. Use the guide method. Go to the Lord. Understand his principles about money. Investigate your options with your money. Discuss those options with others and elders. And then express your freedom in Christ with your money. Be humble with your money. You don't have to flaunt it around. You don't have to show people all about your riches. Remember what Christ said? It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's something that's misquoted so often. It's better to give than to receive. No, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth where moths and rust can destroy, but store up treasures in heaven where they can't. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I wonder, politicians, where is your treasure? Saving lives? Why are you keeping an abortion clinic open? Giving people hope? Then why do you have alcohol and drugstores open? Where's the hope in that? Why do you have the lottery open? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And as Christians, we need to hold them accountable. Yes, Romans 13 is true. God establishes government. But it's our job as Christians to preach the truth. And when our government's not doing the truth, it's our job to stand up and preach the truth. Reach out with the truth. That God's in control. That God is sovereign. That we can look to him in times of troubles. That whether we're poor or we're rich, we need to learn to live in the exaltation of being a part of his family and live in the humiliation or humbleness of having riches and taking care of those who are in need. Not looking to our government. A truly humble man is hard to find. Yet God delights to honor such selfless people. Booker T. Washington, the renowned black educator, was an outstanding example of this truth. Shortly after he took over the presidency of the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, he was walking in an exclusive section of town where he was stopped by a wealthy white woman. Not knowing the famous Mr. Washington by sight, she asked if he'd like to earn a few dollars by chopping wood for her. Because he had no pressing business at the moment, Professor Washington smiled, rolled up his sleeves after he took off his suit coat, and proceeded to do a humble chore she had requested. 
When he had finished, he carried the logs into the house, stacked them by the fireplace, and the little girl recognized him and later revealed his identity to the lady. The next morning, the embarrassed woman went to Mr. Washington's office at the Institute and apologized profusely. And he said this, it's perfectly all right, madam. Occasionally, I like to do a little manual labor myself. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. She shook his hand warmly and assured him that his meek and gracious attitude had endeared him and his work to her heart. Not long afterwards, she showed her admiration by persuading some of her wealthy acquaintances to join her in donating thousands of dollars to the Tuskegee Institute. Don't serve money. Be humble. Serve God. That doesn't mean you can't have nice things or have lots of money. It means you have to be humble in your riches. Because look at the last part of this sermon. Look at the last part of what happens here. It says it Verse 11, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. None of us are going to live forever, and you can't take it with you. I know this guy, his name is Pat, and he likes to say, there's no such thing as ever seeing a U-Haul behind a hearse. It's true. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Riches fade away, but the man who is steadfast under trials is blessed. Steadfast. We who endure, that's what steadfastness means, endurance. Steadfast is the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. Let me say it again. It's the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. Steadfastness affords us an opportunity to have an effect of perfect and complete faith in God and trust in Him, lacking nothing in the trust of Jesus Christ. Psalm 119.71 says this, it is good for me that I was afflicted. That I may learn your decrees and your statutes. Riches fade away, but God's word will never fade away. You have time right now, sitting in your home, drinking your coffee. You have time right now to get to know the creator of the world by reading your Bibles. Spurgeon has rightfully said that he could walk into the home of many of his parishioners and probably with the dust on the top of his Bible write damnation. Open your Bibles up. Start reading and trusting in who Jesus Christ is. Look to the truth. You have time right now to learn about God in our trial. Don't pass this up. You get a crown of life when you're steadfast under trials. You run the race to win in reality. You who are Christians, those who follow Christ, you've already won. You get the crown of life, Jesus Christ. There is no rich person or poor person in heaven. There's none. 
Just believers in Jesus Christ who are amazed that the God of glory was a giver of grace to, do, to those who didn't deserve. And a giver of life to those who didn't deserve life but deserve death. The big idea here I want you guys to remember is that this life is short. James will talk about that in chapter 4, but this life is short. And keeping our eyes on the prize is the utmost importance. That's Jesus Christ. We don't need to look to our governments. We need to respect our governments. We need to, to live by the rule of law. Yes. And for all of those who say we as Christians can't assemble, you're wrong. There was an exemption that allowed churches to meet since the beginning of time. Since the beginning of this whole thing, this whole coronavirus, we could have met. I take the heat for not doing it. I wanted to take care of those who were in the healthcare industry. I didn't want to overwhelm the doctors and the hospitals. But it was eating at my heart that we closed our church doors to those who needed God in these times. So I asked God for forgiveness. I find it easy for us to forget what's important and get our eyes off the prize so easily, so quickly. Paul talked about this in the letter to his church in the Philippian church. He says this, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to, his, to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him to be subjected to all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He also wrote this to the church in Corinth. But I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any position. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? 
that in my preaching I might present the gospel free of charge so as to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I'm ready, church. If I'm going to get sick and have diabetes and have a chance of dying, I'm ready to get sick to share the gospel of Christ. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share it with them in its blessings. Do you not run the race that all runners race, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Least after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I apologize now, church. I took my eyes off the prize. We get a crown of life when we run the race for Christ and Christ alone. That's what James is talking about here. You who are steadfast under trials will receive the crown of life, Jesus Christ, because God has promised it to us. Don't stop running this race. Don't give up. When you have trials, when you have hard times, keep moving forward. Get up. Ask for help. How many times do I help my brother who falls down? Famous question. How many times do I ask? Seven times? Because the Jews would do it three times. Peter, oh, seven times. Isn't that enough? And what did Jesus say? Not seven times, but seven times 70. All the time, help your brothers up. Don't stop running this race. We all have trials. We're all going to die. I don't want people to die unnecessarily. So I'll take my precautions. I'll wash my hands. I'll wear a face mask. I almost, out of a joke, wore a face mask today to preach in. You wouldn't have been able to hear me, so maybe that would have been good for some. Get up. Ask for help when you're knocked down. Shake the dust off your, or the dirt off your back when your farmer's trying to bury you. If you don't know what I'm talking about, think of the mule last week. Sometimes people try and bury us. Loved ones, I hope you got that from the story, is that farmer loved the mule. It was his best friend, his hardest worker, and the, and the godly guy he asked, the godly neighbor he asked for help, said bury him. And that loved farmer decided in his heart of hearts to bury the mule he loved. 
And yet the mule didn't give up. It shook the dust off its back, and it stomped on the ground in anger. And then eventually, the farmer, who didn't understand why his godly friend told him to bury his best friend, he didn't understand that scenario, he said, don't give up. And he started to see the wisdom and the godly thinking as he was doing what the guy told him to do. And eventually, as he's throwing dirt on this mule that he loved so much, he starts to see the well fill up with dirt and the mule gets out. Sometimes we don't see the wisdom that God gives to us. We don't understand what the future holds. But God is always right. We always have to listen to him. I'm telling you right now, church, I have this burning inside me. It's saying, I'm enough. Tell them about me. Share them with me. Don't close the doors. Share me with them. You're not going to be enough, Pastor Chris. You're going to fail them, but I won't. So get up. Shake the dirt off from the farmer who's trying to bury you. Run after Jesus Christ. Because he's the prize. He's the only thing that matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray for forgiveness. We have not listened to you completely all the time. None of us do. We all make mistakes. We're all sinners. I thank you that you give us grace. That you forgive. We're to forgive those who sin against us. Who trespass against us. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Especially in the United States right now and across the world. Heavenly Father, we pray for those who are sick that you would heal them, that you would be the great healer. I know you heal. We're going to get into it in James chapter 5 about healing. But Lord, you're the great healer. It's your will that's done, not ours, not mine. We're going to talk about this next week, Lord, when, when, when someone says they're tempted, that they're being tempted by God. Jesus, you said in the the way we should pray is, lead us not into temptation. And I'm going to explain that more next week, Lord, what that really means. But help us in our temptations. Help us to run to you in our temptations. Because, Lord, when we conceive temptations, when we take a desire that's against your will, that desire then gives birth to sin. And when that sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. I don't want that for us. I pray for our nation. I pray for our government, our representatives, that they would look to you for wisdom. They would look to you for wisdom. I pray that our doctors would look to you for wisdom. Not just the knowledge, but being able to take that knowledge and put it into practice. I pray we as a church would look to you for wisdom, not something else, not something outside of you. I pray that myself and the leaders of this church would look to you always. I thank you that you forgive. 
I pray, Lord, now for this time. I thank you for those who are online listening to us. Be with them, protect them, love them, and take care of them. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.